0: You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. It's good to see everybody. This has been one of those weeks where you kind of wonder what's going on. Oh, no. We're going backwards. I thought by this time, we would be out of it. We'd be inside, and life would be normal, and Christmas would be kind of normal, but it's not meant to be yet. So um, I have a message we're going to teach on the armor of God, fighting the good fight. But as I was praying this morning, I just wanted to, I I felt the Lord challenge me to get proper perspective in 2020. And I want to put a challenge out here before I put I, 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 I preach my message. And the challenge is, I want you to hear from God, to learn a spiritual lesson from the challenges we're experiencing in 2020. Can you do that this week? Because there's a lot of silver linings. I mean, there's stuff that we're whining and complaining about, and I'm doing as, as much as anybody else. Stuff we miss. Um, but... And and I think it's leaving a lot of us anxious, tired, frustrated. Anybody feeling that? Well, there are lessons that we can learn. And and actually, as I was praying this morning, I I was just thinking, you know what? Before 2020, my life in in a lot of ways, a lot of our lives, and we live in a beautiful neighborhood and, and we're blessed in so many ways, a lot of it was like flying first class on a plane. Anybody ever have the privilege of flying first class? Well, I have this mileage thing, and I put all my business miles on uh, expenses, so I get a lot of miles, and I've flown first-class long trips three or four times for free. I've never paid for it. And you know what? If you haven't flown first-class, it's amazing. You have this seat that goes all the way back. You're, it's like a bed you could sit, and it has, like, a bunch of positions, so you're never, you know, like – and I've had a 16-hour flight once on, on it, and you needed it. And, and it was really comfortable. The food is amazing. Every beck and whim, I mean, the, the crew will come and do whatever you want. A couple of them, they give you pajamas, so you actually can put pajamas on. And it's like you're almost to the point where you're like, you know what? I really don't want to land. I want this to be my life. You know, this is amazing. And But now in 2020, it's kind of like, yeah, we're on a plane, but we're in coach. We're in a middle seat. We got these two beefy guys that don't believe in showering, and they're a little gassy, And the whole trip, it's the most intense turbulence you ever have imagined. So none of the crew, they're all locked up too. There's no food. It's miserable. And all you want to do is you want to land and get off. And the Lord was showing me that wouldn't it be stupid if I would have, you know, in this first class experience, I thought to myself, you know what? I want to stay here. So I start decorating it. I put pictures of my family. I put a little shade. And, you know, I, I start making that first class area my home. And, I'm, you know, that would be so dumb because like in 10 hours, I'm mean, going to have to get off. But a lot of times here on earth, when things are great, we just want everything to be about living on this world. Everything around you one day won't be here, including ourselves. I mean, look at this flesh. One day... We're not going to be as far as in our bodies. We are spirit beings, so we will live forever somewhere. But there's a temporalness to this life. And when you realize that, you know, you're not going to start decorating your flight because you know you're going to land soon. So you want to start decorating your permanent home where you're going to get off the plane and go. And one day we're going to get off this plane living on earth and we're going to go to heaven, hopefully. And so we have to live like that. And I think that was my revelation this week. So my challenge to you is in the midst of all this chaos, find a silver lining, find a biblical truth that God can implant in your heart. And I tell you, you'll get hope, you'll feel a little better and it won't be as gloomy. Will you do that? How many people will do that? Awesome, awesome. All right, well, let's let's pray. And I just wanna ask the Lord to bless my message. Lord, I thank you that you're here this morning. Thank you that there are so many blessings. And Lord, let us focus on you and be thankful for all that you've done. And even if everything is taken away, Lord, you still have given us salvation. You've still given us eternal life. You've given us a home in heaven with you. And we bless you, we praise you, we worship you. And I, Lord, I pray like Paul prayed in 1 Corinthians where my message, my preaching wouldn't be just with worldly wisdom, human wisdom, but it would be a demonstration of your power, of God's power, because only you can change hearts, only you can penetrate the very depths of our being. And I ask that you would do that this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Anybody ever get in a fight when you're in school? I remember when I was in elementary school, I was like a bit of a bruiser, and, uh, and I was a good athlete, so I, I, that, that's where I kind of had my fighting scene, and there was two kids in school that were bigger than me, but they became my friends, so I, I had no problem, but um, once elementary school finished, I, I kind of got peaceful, but I remember in high school, there was this guy, and he just didn't like me. And we had never really talked. I think I, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I think he liked her, and there was a little bit of drama going on there. But he would go out of his way to bump me in the hall and just to, like, you know, give me these dirty looks. And then one day, finally, I just said, you know what? I had enough. And I said, do you want to go? And, he's like, and he's, like, he's like, yeah. And so I don't know how it happened, but we kind of set an appointment. We're like, all right, next week, a certain place, you know, we're going to go. And then so I had about a week before we were going to fight. And I remember, you know, I wasn't really a good fighter. And he was, I think he probably would have whipped me. And um, so I started talking to some friends. He said, what do you do? I was like doing push-ups, trying to beef up a little bit. And, you know, I was getting ready for this fight. So we go, you know, to the scheduled time. And there was a lot of people, you know, how high school, everybody knew about it. But then there was a teacher who knew about it too. So the teacher came and broke it up before it even started. And somehow that relieved tension, and we were kind of good after that. And, um, you know, we, we, we didn't become friends, but we became cordial like junior, senior year. But sometimes in, as Christians, we need to fight. Sometimes we have to fight, and it's unavoidable. Um, and up until this year, I think as Christians, we felt safe, you know, in this church, in this country. But everything has been shaken around us, and there seems to be a lot of fighting going on. And sometimes we we don't know, like, should we get into this fight? Is this fight from you? Who are we supposed to fight anyway? And when we fight, in order to win, there's two things you need to do. You need to know the nature of the fight, why you're fighting, what's going on, and who you're fighting. If you don't know those two things, it's probably not going to do well. So I am starting a sermon series called Fighting the Good Fight my goal is to equip you of how to fight the good fight of faith. Because Paul knew that part of our Christian walk involved fighting. And he told Timothy, his disciple in 1 Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And just like I tried to learn how to prepare for my fight fight back in high school, Paul gives us some tips of how how to fight as believers in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17. It's where he talks about the armor of God, and that's what we're going to focus on. Um, And in Ephesians, there's several pictures of the church that is given. We are called members of the body of Christ. We're called a family. We're called a temple. And we're called the bride of Christ. But in the final chapter, in the sixth chapter, we are called an army. And last time I checked, the business of an army is to fight. So we are called to fight. So let's read in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul's inferring that we're in a war and we need to be prepared for battle. And he t- tells us who the enemy is and what we need to do to defeat him. And he gives us six essential elements as part of the armor of God. And um, I don't see any kids here. In the first service, uh, it's a family service. So I'll, I'll just show you. So the, there are the, the six elements, part of our armor. The first one is a girdle of truth. I didn't have a handy girdle around. Uh, You'll have to use your imagination. I'm going to talk about it next week. And I, I think I have one to show you. And then there is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness goes over your chest. Then we have uh, the shoes with the preparation of the gospel. Now the Romans, they had these leather sandals and they they were intertwined and they came up with shin guards all the way up to their knees. And then they had uh, the shield of faith. People talk a lot about that. There's the shield of faith. And then it says the helmet of salvation. There you are. And then the favorite part is the sword of the spirit. And most of these are defensive weapons. The sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon. Um, But Paul says, if you have these six pieces of equipment, you will be fully protected from head to toe. So you have the helmet, the breastplate, the girdle, the shoes, the sword, and the shield. So every part of your, your body is protected except one area. Anybody know what that is? Your back. Like all these weapons, my back is totally exposed. So, I'm going to talk about that next week and the significance of that. Um, so, over this series, I want to examine who is our enemy, what is our part in the conflict, what does victory mean, and then examine the six piece, pieces of armor that we need to do to win the girdle, the breastplate, the shoes, shield, helmet, and, and sword. So let's get started. First of all, who is our enemy? Right, Satan. Your real enemy is the devil, not people. Your real enemy is the devil, not people. You know, I think most of us conceptually, we get that and we're like, yeah, that's true. But in our actions, oftentimes we we don't get that. We don't live that out. Let's, let's read in um, Ephesians 6, 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And flesh and blood is a symbol of a human being or a person. So we're not wrestling against people. People are not our enemy. And the nice part, and, and it's, it's hard not to believe that because people are visible. And usually when stuff happens, it's through people, something we can see. But it says, but we wrestle against the rulers, Against the authorities, cosmic forces, powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. And they're out there. Can't you see them? Everybody look. Look for a ruler, authority, cosmic power, or, or force of evil. Do you see it out there? I mean, I see a couple people on the golf course. But we can't see that spiritual realm because that's, that's a, a spiritual realm that's invisible. And that's one of the keys. That's, that's why it's tricky when we do spiritual warfare because we're fighting against something that we can't see. But we still can fight. We still can be victorious because this is in a heavenly realm because there's a kingdom of darkness, which is ruled by Satan, and they're in direct opposition, actually at war with the kingdom of light, of God. And Satan has his own kingdom, and he is at war with the kingdom of God. And it's interesting to note, he lists all these rulers, authorities. There's this very organized, almost like a hierarchy level of authority in the kingdom of Satan. And it's indicative of a very organized army, and that army's job is to fight you. So we shouldn't underestimate our enemy. Half the battle is knowing who your enemy is and outwitting your enemy. They say the Japanese underestimated the Americans' resolve in World War II. They thought after Pearl Harbor, we're just going to crumble, but we didn't, and we we beat them. So why is this important to know? First, you can't win unless you know, unless you know who you're fighting. If our real enemy is Satan and we're fighting people, you're not going to win. Second, you may be fighting against the wrong person. And Jesus, he knew this. He knew exactly who his enemy was, and he always tried to stay on point in his battles. Let's turn to Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. It says, is that on the screen? Can you guys see it? Okay, great. It says, Matthew 16, 21, it says, from that time, so, G, so as a background, Jesus was about to share that he, his purpose in life was to go to the cross, so he was beginning to share this with the disciples, and that was God's mission for him. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders and the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned, looked at Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Interesting, Peter said the words, but Jesus rebuked Satan, not Peter. See, Satan was using Peter to fight a battle. Jesus recognized it, and Jesus recognized that Peter wasn't his enemy, but Satan was the real enemy. And in a battle, there is a weapon, and there is someone who controls the weapon. Like in those days, they used bow and arrows. And oftentimes, the the archers used to sit way behind the enemy lines and just shoot, and the arrows would go, and they would hit people you know, really far away, oftentimes the people who got hit with those arrows they never saw the person who shot it. So who was the enemy when when someone's shooting a bow and arrow was the are the arrows the enemy, or is it the shooters who you can't see? You always can see the arrows that hit you, but oftentimes you can't see that shooter and it's the person who shoots the arrow. Is the enemy. In this situation, Jesus realized that Peter was simply an arrow in the arsenal of Satan. That's why Jesus didn't rebuke Peter, who was the arrow, but he rebuked Satan, who shot that arrow through Peter. And it's interesting, I mean, Peter was his man, and Peter, they were tight. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the arrows that hit us or come at us are from people closest to us. That's why it's hard to not get all hung up on those arrows. And the devil is very clever, and he tries to deceive us into thinking that the arrows are the real enemies. And most of the time, like I said, those arrows are people. And the devil influences people to hurt you, attack you, malign you, use you, get you off track, tempt you, lie to you, steal from you, anything to ultimately destroy you. But oftentimes, the arrows are not our real enemy. Our real enemy is the one shooting the arrows. And when we get deceived and think that people, like the arrows, are real enemy, it gets us off mission. What is our mission as Christians? It's really simple. Love God and love people. And when the enemy comes in and makes you believe that those people are your enemies, it's really hard to love them. So we're totally off base. We're fighting a, a, an enemy that, that, that maybe is not really your enemy. And it gets the devil off the hook. Have you ever met someone who's just bitter, crusted, without peace, because they have this grudge against someone who did them wrong? I heard a story this week about a family situation where, where some of the family members hadn't talked for years because of an arrow that hit them. And the arrow is through the family member. And so their family members, all of a sudden, the enemy. But little did they know that probably the enemy was behind it all to break up that family. And they, bit, they took that bait hook, line, and sinker. It's sad. And in the end, that family, they're the ones who are, just, who are being destroyed, So we need to know that the enemy is the devil and not people. That's the first observation. The second observation is this fight, fighting the good fight, involves all Christians. It involves all Christians. Sometimes we believe if I keep my head down, I stay out of the way, you know what? The devil won't mess with me. That's how we avoid fights in general. You know, on the freeway, someone cuts you off. You know, you go up there and you give them some signs. You know, you might end up in a fight, but if you ignore it, probably nothing will happen. And sometimes we think that's true with the devil. And you know what? The only one the devil really goes for, ministers, evangelists, missionaries, the ones are in in the, the tip of the spear. But it's not true. If you are a Christian, the devil is coming for you. The devil hates you. And the demons hate you. I think we have a hard time with that concept because we're taught that, you know what? Yeah, they did all this. They're an ax murderer, but they have a good heart. <laughs> and there's always good in people. So. But the enemy, the devil, his kingdom, hates you with a pure, unadulterated hatred. You know why? You ever thought about that? Why does the devil hate us? Well, someone told me this and it made a lot of sense. Because you are made in God's image and the devil hates God. So he'll hate you by default. It's kind of like if someone really hated me, he'd probably hate my wife and kids too because we're, we're, we're a team. And Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen, he says, if the world hates you, keep it in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you at its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Satan hates you, and by default, you're involved in this fight, whether you like it or not. Welcome. <laughs> so the, the third observation is we are, you know, we're in a fight. What kind of fight we're, are we in? We're in a wrestle type of fight. I see, I think that's significant, too. Like, if we're in a war, if we're in a fight... Like I could have an enemy about a mile away and if I have one of those high-powered weapons and a scope, I could reach, I could look at him and I could shoot and I can strike him and possibly kill him without him ever seeing me, without there's any, any um, contact at all. And are there any former wrestlers out there or current wrestlers? You know, wrestling is, um, one, well, let's, let's read in Ephesians six twelve. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So Paul uses that word wrestle and wrestling is unique. It's the most intense form of combat between two people. And it's usually only two people. You don't have a wrestling match with a hundred people in there, it's usually two people in there. And it it requires every part of your body, every skill, many muscles and all the tricks that you, you need. And it requires absolute concentration and focus. If you're in a wrestling match and you're down on the ground and your mind starts wandering and you start thinking about the the Dodgers or whatever, you know what? You're going to lose focus, and they're going to get you, and they're going to pin you right then. You need focus, and that's why wrestling is difficult. Wrestling is exhausting. And oftentimes, if you're not prepared for it, even mentally, you just think, well, I just want to give up. But we are in a fight, and we're not meant to give up. We need to keep fighting. and Because wrestling is intimate, personal, and very intense. Um, And it's part of the good fight, and we need to realize that when we are in the trenches with the enemy, it's very difficult, very difficult. So the fourth uh, observation about our fight is that every Christian will have their day in the ring. Every single one of you, if you're a believer, you will have a day in the ring, a wrestling ring with the enemy and his forces. And oftentimes, you have many days in the rings. In verse 13, in Ephesians 6, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's interesting, they use the term evil day. In the, new, in the NIV, it says day of evil. And some believe it's like, well, that's like Armageddon or during the tribulation. But I believe, my personal belief, is that this is the time that we wrestle with the enemy during our life, during our Christian walk. And oftentimes it's again and again. And it's a time where your faith will be challenged and every kind of opposition and problem will be let loose against you. And Paul doesn't question that we will have to face the evil day. He he doesn't say if we face the evil day. It's a certainty. It's not an option. We will all face that evil day. And in my life, one thing I've noticed is an observation. Oftentimes, those evil days come right before a breakthrough. Have you noticed that? If the Lord does a breakthrough in your life, or victory is coming, or God wants to use you or do something, the enemy will almost do like this preemptive strike to get you off base. I remember um, one of the things I love to do is pray for people, and I have probably prayed for thousands of people. And through the years, I've really got good at it and I've learned that God's given me a little prophetic insight when I pray for people and people really get touched. And I remember the very first time I, I was going to join a ministry team at a church like 20 years ago and they, they, I felt called to do it and they were going to have a class. Two weeks before the class, like in my life, all hell starts breaking loose. I remember I, I had issues at home, getting in fights with the family I remember at work, things were just going wrong. It was like opposition after opposition, and I didn't have that awareness. I didn't really view it as an attack, but like all this stuff started happening. And I remember what really was the the the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and I realized it was an attack, was I always had this fear of getting a flat tire in the freeway. I don't know why. Well I had a friend and his dad died he, 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 changing a flat tire in the freeway, so maybe maybe scared. And I remember I was coming down. It was a hill on the freeway, and my tire blew out, and I went to the shoulder. It was a tiny shoulder, and it was on an incline, so cars were going fast, big trucks. And I didn't have AAA back then, so I had to go do it. And it was on the freeway side. It wasn't on the shoulder side. So. And I remember afterwards, I was like, man, what next? <laughs> and then I, all of a sudden, I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm under attack. And so I, I talked to some people and we prayed and, and like it, everything went calm. I went to my class and probably thousands of people today have been blessed by me praying for them because God had called me to it and the enemy knew it and he was trying to do a preemptive strike to get me to quit. And when the enemy comes and attacks you, you know, there's always a purpose. He's not he's, he's not stupid. And oftentimes, he'll try to get you off track. So in a weird way, if you're experiencing a lot of attacks, you're probably doing something right. It's a weird compliment. I don't like those kind of compliments. But um, yeah, it's interesting. So when we're fighting and we're doing all this stuff, what does victory mean? Like, what's the ultimate goal? To, to win a huge victory? To put, push the enemy back and come back and do a big parade? Well, according to verse 13, it says, in, in, it says, therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. And in this fight, the simple goal is at the end of the day, be still standing. And I, I look back over this year and there's been a lot of fight, a lot of battles, but I'm like, well, Lord, I'm still standing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And you know what? In a deadly wrestling match, you know, the loser is on the ground. But the winner, he's hes not doing anything, but he's just standing. So in the end of the day, the Lord is gonna help you. He wants to equip you. So after the battle, no matter how intense, you will be standing. How many people wanna stand after the battle? Is any of this making sense? Anybody can relate to any of this stuff? Yeah, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you, you recognize attacks and, and what they are. But his, But Paul said, We need to be fully protected in order to be standing at the end of the day. If we put on this armor, wear it, we will be uh, successful. And he he says that we need to put this armor on. So I want to start today with one piece of armor. Um, That is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. So why do you think, what do you think this protects in battle? Your heart, obviously. So a kid said in the first service, the stomach. And, you know, I asked my wife, she used to work in the trauma center. If someone gets stabbed in the stomach, could they live? And she's like, yeah, maybe, probably. But if someone gets stabbed in the heart, you're not going to make it. You know, sayonaro. <laughs> and so the breastplate of righteousness is to cover our heart. And what is our heart? In this context, it's our being, it's who we are, it's our emotions, it's our thinking, it's our affections, it's, it, it's really who, who, what defines us. And it's probably the most important part of you. Where your heart is, so there goes your actions. In Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And I think this year with all what's going on, all the anger, we really have to keep our heart in check because it's so easy for our hearts. Let that bitterness come in, anger. And that's when the enemy comes in. And what you have in your heart ultimately will determine the course of your life, either for good or for bad. And if the devil can taint your heart in battle, he'll win and you'll probably lose. And then Paul says this breastplate will protect. So I want to ask, what does it mean by the breastplate of righteousness will protect our heart? What does it mean? Well, if we turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.8, it gives us a little bit more clarification of what that means. Paul says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a, breast, as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So Paul describes the breastplate from another point of view and he says this breastplate is one of faith and a breastplate of love. That will protect our heart in these lifelong struggles with the enemy. If you put these two passages together, Ephesians 6.14 and 1 Thessalonians 5.8, the breastplate of righteousness is a breastplate of faith and love. So let's look at the breast, what does it mean by the breastplate of faith? Well, that's simply salvation because our heart, with we have faith in God, faith in Jesus, it's called salvation, and he'll turn our evil heart to a righteous heart with faith. And salvation is only f- through faith in Christ. And this kind of faith isn't a kind of righteousness by works. We can't work our way in and keep doing, keep, keep you know, keeping that scale. Like my, my good works are better than my bad, so I'm good. No, it's, and it's not following a religious law. It's the righteousness that only comes from God on the basis of faith in Jesus. So before I go on, I just wanna say, do you have that kind of faith? Are you basing your eternal salvation on being good enough to get into heaven? Or are you surrendering your life and say, you know what, I'm sorry for my sins, I can't do it, but I wanna have faith in what you did, Jesus, on the cross. Maybe God's calling you to give your life to quit trying to outperform God and to quit trying to earn God's affection and approval, you only can do it through faith. That's what Paul says. And secondly, Paul says, your heart will be protected with a breastplate of love. And you know what? This kind of comes into play when the enemy throws those arrows of people to your heart. One of the keys ways to protect yourself is through love. If you don't have love, your heart probably will get tainted. And the thing is is a devil, he's very clever, and he uses those closest to you often to be the arrow. Anybody ever get hurt by a family member? Spouse, kids, parents? How about a how about a teacher in school? I think my wife tells me stories of like a counselor at school back in high school that that still is, is painful today. How about a boss or a pastor or a church? Yes, <laughs> we're good at hurting people too. But oftentimes the enemy will use those closest to you because he can get in and then we forget that that's the arrow, not the enemy and we our heart gets tainted because of that. And the closer the person is, the deeper you will feel the pain of that arrow. But the breastplate of love will protect you because the love of God is the most powerful force in the universe and can protect you from any hurt. Any hurt. In the Song of Solomon, 8.6, it's an interesting, it says, place me like a seal in your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death think of that statement. Love is as strong as death. Death is the one irresistible thing that we all encounter. No one can resist death. When death comes, it's irresistible, and there's no way to avoid it. The Bible says love is as strong as death. Did you ever think about it? Love is irresistible. It always conquers. There's no way it can be defeated. Love is as strong as death. That's why having the breastplate of love around your heart will let you do the impossible because we can't do this in our own human strength. It hurts when we get hurt, doesn't it? <laughs> but you will be able to forgive anybody, no matter how close to you are, they are to you, for anything if you have love. Those who hurt you, disappoint you, use you, malign you, even kill you. And we look at these heroes in the Bible. Remember Stephen? He was the first martyr in Acts. And he he was getting stoned and he was preaching and they didn't like it and they turned against him. He was on the ground almost dead. Can you imagine dying by getting stoned? People throwing rocks at you? What a terrible death. And in this condition, he looked at them and he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Love is as strong as death. He could do it. And then Jesus on the cross is our ultimate example. Remember, he said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do because he had that breastplate of love on his heart. If you have the breastplate of love, you'll survive any battle because it protects. Because if you don't have it, what happens? You get resentful, you get hurt, you get bitter, you have unforgiveness. All those things will corrupt your heart. Yesterday, I was opening a package, and I got a splinter in my hand, and it hurt. And I asked my wife to do it, and she's like, oh, you're fine. And so I was like digging, digging away, and I finally got it, and I immediately knew when I got it because it felt better. But if I wouldn't have taken that thing out a couple weeks, who knows? I might have lost this thumb. If if, If the thumb went away, and if I didn't lose the thumb, and if I just kept it, I could have lost the arm. And you know, you actually, I could have died from that dumb package. It's dangerous at my house. So if you let these things come in, it'll taint your heart. You'll get bitter. And I've known, I've seen a lot of behavior this year. Where, and injustices, where people haven't kept that breastplate of love on their heart and faith and they're letting bitterness get in there, and they're angry. And I I understand a lot of it too. And I feel for a lot of people, and I feel for what we're going through in society, even in America. But please guard your heart. Because this isn't our home. One day we're going to go to heaven. And we need to have pure hearts when we get there. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says, It's the love chapter. And in the end, in verse 8, it simply says, love never fails. That's why it's essential to put on that breastplate, to guard our hearts through faith and love. And it's essential to win that good fight because the enemy wants to destroy us and you can't fight the enemy without the proper equipment. And that first, that breastplate is essential. So next week, we're going to talk about the girdle of truth, the shoes with the preparation of the gospel, and the shield of faith. So I want to invite up the worship team right now. And usually the very first Sunday of the month, we we celebrate communion together. If you don't have any communion elements, if you didn't get it coming up, there's a little box up here. You can grab one. But I think, you know, especially as I mentioned about the heart, I don't know if that's hit home. It hit home with me. It hit home with me, and I had to really do some business with God. So let me read a a verse, and then we're going to have a song, just a little time to contemplate. Let God search your heart. Let God examine you. And if you need to do any business with God, just confess it. Perhaps the Lord is going to bring up somebody that you need to forgive. I know it's hard. It's really hard to forgive those who are closest to you and hurt you so bad, but do it by faith. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So as the, the music plays quietly in the background, I challenge you to let the Lord examine you. And then after that, we will take the elements together. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.